Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. And being just 10 days out from our end-of-year Christmas break, we're going to mix it up this week and look to summarise the big year by throwing our Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter, 10 quick questions on what we can expect in 2021. Good morning, Matthew. Morning, Craig. Matthew, we've got just 10 minutes and a bell ready to help you along. So you're ready to crack in, Dr. Peter? Man, the pressure's on, Craig. Uh, Let's hit it. Okay, well, let's ease into it rather with the recovery in GDP. Is 2021 the year, Matthew, we'll be back to pre-COVID levels? Well, we we will continue to see um, steady, uh, if not spectacular above trend growth rates over each quarter of 2021 and even into the first half of 2022, as long as we can keep COVID at bay. Um, we will know if the economy is on track with our forecast by the ability of the government to end the JobKeeper program in the June quarter next year, um, without serious economic fallout, that is. Um, we're forecasting GDP growth of 3.3% in 2021, 3.6% in 2022, and that's following a drop of uh, GDP of 2.8% over this year. And in answer to your question, we should get back to the pre-COVID level of GDP, and by that I mean the level that we're at in the December quarter of 2019, by the December quarter of next year, or maybe even the June quarter if we're lucky. Fantastic. And and Matthew, we're under pressure here, but you can talk that a little bit slow if you'd like. We've spoken a lot about the central bank's support of the Australian government deficit to support the recovery. How large will our deficit be as we enter 2021? Well, the federal government deficit will be around $200 billion this current fiscal year, or about 10% of GDP, but it will approximately halve to about $105 billion in uh, the the next um, fiscal year of 2021-22, and that's about 5% of GDP. And and that's because of, largely because of the end of the JobKeeper program and the JobKeeper supplement. Even so, uh, the 2021-22 budget deficit will still be enormous, and, and greater than the deficit we built during the GFC. Unfortunately, prior to COVID, we had projected that we would leave future generations free of government debt by the end of the decade. Now they are faced with uh, having to pay for COVID. Yeah, enormous numbers there. And you did talk about this going on for years. I mentioned the RBA earlier and their support of the fiscal deficit via those historically loose monetary policy uh, approach. With QE also now in place, Matthew, and given that we've got a long history of this ahead of us, um, did they apply this too early? Well, Craig, I don't think so. Um, If they hadn't announced QE when they did, they would have uh, seriously disappointed market expectations. And I'm certain we would have seen a spike in long-dated bond yields and and in the currency to the detriment of the economy. Um, Have they used up their policy MO too soon? I don't think so. The beauty of QE as a policy is that in one sense, the ability of the central bank to print money, um, that is QE in effect, is limitless. Uh, The actual limit is the extent to which it can suppress interest rates without inverting the yield curve. And with our three-year yield fixed at uh, 10 basis points and our 10-year yield currently trading at about 1%, the RBA can increase or extend QE to flatten the yield curve to ease pressure on the currency uh, if needed. 
You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where in summarising 2020, we are asking our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, to take us through his economic views on what to look for in 2021. Matthew, the signs of the Australian housing market are really starting to take off. They're led by, of course, that trophy market. Can the RBA effectively manage a booming housing market and an economy in recovery, particularly one that's globally integrated during a COVID pandemic? Yes, Craig. Well, I think at the moment a a housing bubble is a real risk where interest rates are and will be for some time, given that households have built large pools of savings and given the improving economic backdrop. But the RBA, I don't think, will let that happen. The risk of a of a house price bubble that eventually pops is too big a risk, especially while the economy is still dependent on continued household spending. If house prices do really take off, the RBA, I think, will work with APRA to re- reintroduce regulations that will limit bank loans for the purpose of investing in housing and also tighten bank lending standards. And these regulations we saw were really effective in squashing house prices back in 2018. But this will come at a cost um, to less uh, economic activity in the construction industry. A longer term answer to the problem, I think, is to increase the supply of houses, which will alleviate not only price and rent pressure, but also improve affordability. Thanks, Matthew. And obviously, of course, a big topic in the institutional landscape in Australia is build to rent and housing affordability support from our institutional investors. So glad you raised that. As we start to look regionally now within Australia, our Asian region and the global, all facing fiscal deficits and loose monetary policy, are there any better conditions, Matthew, for inflation to finally return in 2021? Well, the annual rates of inflation are going to be very volatile uh, for at least until the September quarter of next year, until the impact of the free childcare drops out of the annual estimates. If I look through that volatility of the headline number, uh, then we are certainly uh, in for a sustained period of low inflation, notwithstanding the points you just raised, Craig. Uh, We think it'll take until 2024 before we see uh, ourselves solidly back within the RBA target band of 2 to 3%. We, like most forecasters, think it will be until 2024 for our employment rate to get back to 5%. Until that's the case, we won't have wage growth and we won't have much inflation pressure. Yeah, and potential opportunities then for active inflation, uh, given that sustained period won't occur until 2024. Matthew, this week, the Russian president, uh, Putin, finally acknowledged that Biden as is the latest US president. As Biden takes the reins in 2021, what's the immediate impacts that we can expect from this change in presidency? Well, there'll be a mix of um, of things that are quite radical in terms of the change from the um, Trump administration, and we'll see others where there's little change. And the determining factor in most cases will be whether uh, Biden's policy initiatives have to pass through a Congress uh, with a Republican-controlled Senate or not. Uh, One area where the Biden administration can pass laws without having to go through Congress is international trade. Um, And while the hard line on China will most likely be maintained, uh, the approach to traditional allies will be, uh, trading allies that is, will be entirely different with uh, a more multilateral and less adversarial approach than Trump. And this bodes well for Australia and the Asia-Pacific region, which could see the US re-enter regional trade agreements. It also places pressure on China, who will no longer have the opportunity to pick off trading partners dumped by the 
the Trump administration. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where we are putting our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, under some pressure to highlight the economic forecast for 2021. Matthew, you raised trading partners in China when it came to your response on buy the US. Australia is, of course, seeing out this year with a bit of a diplomatic spat with our largest trading partner in China also. Coal, beef, barley, and even wine exports are all being caught up in this dispute. Will will China rather drink our wine in 2021? Well, we've just seen that China has allowed um, seaborne coal exports to recontinue for everyone bar Australia. Um, So the signs aren't good. And they certainly, I don't think they'll be toasting the Chinese New Year in 2021 by cracking a bottle of Grange. Um, But equally, we have seen iron ore prices push through $150 a tonne with no signs of abatement in the Chinese appetite for Australian iron ore exports. Um, And our iron ore exports account for more than 65% Uh, of our total exports to China. And as we've discussed in the past, Craig, China does not have an alternative to Australian iron ore exports over at least the next five years. And this buys us time to recalibrate on international trade. I think we have to accept that trade relations with China are going to be problematic going forward. And we need to start adjusting our approach to trade within the region starting now. And of course, it's great that there's iron ore demands there from China. But last time I checked, Matthew, they needed coal to fire up those plants to uh, to heat the iron ore. So we'll see how they go with that particular strategy. Um, Australia has had a long and uh, history of being very reliant on a single trading partner prior to China, of course, Japan and so forth. Are there other trading partners in the region, Matthew, that we should start to now cultivate as a trading partner alongside China? Ah, certainly there is. Look, Craig, we sit in a region that accounts for 35% of the global population, even when we exclude China. And our region's middle class is growing exponentially, both in terms of numbers and income. Um, Asia's middle class, again, ex-China, spent $8.1 trillion in 2015, which is estimated to have risen to around $11.4 trillion currently. But importantly, it's projected to double to around $22 trillion by the end of the end of the decade. Um, that'll lift Asia's share of middle class expenditure from its current level of 27% to 35% by two, two, 2030. So the market, Craig, is huge. And the aspirational expenditure of this growing middle class is on things that we sell, travel, education, and health services. Those are the sectors we've got true uh, international comparative advantage. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where in our final podcast for the year, our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the economic factors shaping your investment outlook in 2021. Matthew, I've saved the best till last. Who will be the winners and losers most likely from COVID period in 2021? Let's see if I can beat the buzzer, Craig. I'll start by geography. To the extent uh, there are winners, uh, I'd probably say outperformers. I don't think there's any winners from COVID. I would say starting China because it's able to control social movement and has limited the impact of COVID and because it's able to shift production towards satisfying domestic demand, which is huge in China, uh, rather than depending on overseas demand in a time of uh, weak global growth. At the other end of the spectrum, Uh, but still an outperformer, I think, is the US. And what 
gives US the advantage is their willingness to trade off negative health, health outcomes for positive economic outcomes. And that's meant that even with an horrendous COVID track record, their economy has been performing very strongly. Adding to the mix the early and widespread distribution of the vaccine, and we have an outperformer. Losers, Europe. Unwilling to take the same risk with health for the sake of the economy and plagued by a mix of centralised and slow-moving government um, administrations within each country, combined with an inability to coordinate responses across the EU. Matthew, well done. And uh, also a big thank you from me for your commitment this year to our QPod. I know the research that takes place behind the scenes to make this happen. And also I want to quickly thank the whole QPod production team involved as well. I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's Take 10 Investor Insights podcast. And after the most unusual year that I have lived through, to our Australian clients and listeners, on behalf of the QIC podcast team, we wish you a super Christmas break. And to our offshore listeners, wishing you a fantastic New Year's period. We look forward to talking to you all again in 2021.